I guess I'm going to seize the divine moment. I'm going to make a, uh, tell a story from uh, Seizing Your Divine Moment by uh, Christian author, Pastor Erwin McManus. He, he tells a story about his son, Aaron, when Aaron was uh, very small. Aaron went to camp for his very first time, and uh, McManus was pretty confident that, you know, it's going to be a really good experience because it's going to be a Christian camp. And, you know, one of the things that won't happen there is they won't tell ghost stories at the Christian camp because, you know, Christians don't believe in ghosts. And uh, that was just great. Uh, however, because it was a Christian camp, they, they told demon stories and <laughs> Satan stories. So when Aaron got home from camp, he was terrified uh, by the darkness. And when it was time for Baron, Aaron said, Daddy, don't turn off the lights. Daddy, no, could you stay with me? Daddy, I'm afraid. He said, they told demon stories at camp. McManus writes, uh, then Aaron said, Daddy, would you pray for me that I would be safe? And then uh, McManus, of he said, I could feel it. I could feel the life of safety, safety, safety. So he said to Aaron, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. I will pray for you to be dangerous, that the enemy will flee from you whenever you enter the room. Aaron said, okay, dad, but please pray that I will be really, really dangerous. <laughs> so here's a question for us. Do you want to be safe, or do you want to be really, really dangerous for Jesus? The Apostle Paul did not choose the safe life. When we left Paul last week in Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul was in the midst of an angry mob in Jerusalem at the temple, and they began beating him to the point of their desire was to beat him to death. And the uh, government intervened. Roman military commanders stepped in, and they carried him to the corner of the temple, northwest corner, at the fortress of Antonio. So this is a Roman fortress connected to the corner of the temple. And um, so this riot had started because... The Apostle Paul was falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. So, not an accurate uh, fact, but that's why they were beating him. So, Paul is given by the Roman commander an opportunity to make a defense. And that brings us to uh, Acts chapter 22. And I'm going to read uh, the first section in Acts 22. And this is Paul's defense. Of, of the charges being brought against him. He says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. 
as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jesus to be punished. And then he begins to tell his story. So first of all, the defense is in the first 21 verses of Acts 22. He begins with his personal credentials in verses 1 through 5 um, to, to describe a little bit about him to his audience because it's been 20 years. This group who are very angry with him. The address, verses 1 and 2, he starts, he, he starts with brothers and fathers. He's, he's talking to the Jewish nation. Listen to my defense. They, they heard him speak in Aramaic. Now, Aramaic would be the spoken language of Israel in the first century. It's a Hebrew kind of language. A little bit different, slightly different, but it's what they spoke. It's what Jesus spoke uh, in his ministry. Now, they're surprised because uh, they think Paul is a Jewish man of the dispersion, meaning he was born outside of Israel. He's going to speak Greek. He's a Hellenized uh, Jewish man. He's not re the real deal. He's, he, you know, he doesn't know the, the, uh, the Jewish traditions we have here in Jerusalem. He's, he's a little bit of an outsider, and he doesn't understand the way we really do things. And then he gives his background, verses 3. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. So he's a Jew ethnically. He's a Jew religiously. Yes, he was born outside of Israel. So he is a Jew at what, what is called in dispersion meaning scattered, but he, guess what? He was raised in Jerusalem. He thoroughly knows the culture of Jerusalem. He thoroughly knows what is taught. He knows the traditions. He knows the people. He understands. Um, he said, I studied under Gamaliel, the most popular teacher, the most respected teacher of his day. He's a rock star first century rabbi. Everybody knows who he is. And Paul got the finest training available in the first century under this man. I was, I was trained in the law of, the of our ancestors, of the Jewish faith. I was, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. He was the real deal. He was very passionate about his faith. And then he goes, uh, I'm going to slip to Philippians chapter 3. And this is what Paul described to the Philippians, a little more about his credentials. And he says, uh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. This might sound a little confusing, but he's talking about confidence in the flesh, in the flesh. In the flesh, he means according to the natural order. If you look at my life and my parents and my education and my traditions and my culture, I could brag. I could put confidence in the flesh. I could say, hey, look at me. And he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Next slide. Circumcised on the eighth day, all good Jewish of the people of Israel. Well, Paul's got the pedigree all the way. He knows all the details of his history. 
of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul can trace his lineage. A lot of Jewish people could not trace their lineage in the first century. Paul could. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he was in good standing. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He was who's who in Jerusalem in the first century. He was a star, a rising star. In regard to the law of Pharisee, he was trained. He was conservative. He believed the scriptures. He took them to heart. He sought to do what the scriptures said. As for zeal persecuting the church, Paul understood if this Christian thing was wrong, and he thought it was, this is heresy. This is terrible. These people need to be removed and stop influencing other people. That, that was the implications Paul got from the Old Testament, if they're not the real deal. Persecuting the church is for righteousness, based following the law. And I got straight A's. If you want to do a report card on Jewish sitting the law, I was a model uh, Jewish citizen. So um, he talks about his commitment in verses 4 and 5 in Acts 22, back to his speech in Jerusalem. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way. The way was a term people used to talk about Christians. The way. If you were a member of the way, you were a follower of Christ. Jesus said he was the way. It would be going Jesus' way, following Jesus in his footsteps. He said, um, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Man, I took this seriously. And we know in Acts 7, he was standing there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was all for this. He said he arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. You know, Paul didn't play favorites. He just wasn't after men. If you've got a woman who's following Christ, that's, they're guilty. They, they need to be arrested. They need to, to be responsible for their actions. And so uh, he didn't play favorites, men or women. Verse 5, as the, as the high priest and all the council can testify. Now, this is really a strong argument here. The high priest, the high priest that ordered Jesus to be crucified, gave Paul letters to go to Damascus to persecute Christians and arrest Christians. The council are the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious Jewish leaders who made the decisions for the nation. So they're like, kind of like the Supreme Court, kind of like the U.S. Senate, and they are religious leaders as well. So he says... Uh, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, outside of Israel, in Syria, and went there to bring these people as prisoners. That's, I wanted to arrest these people, to be punished. That's what they needed. And then something happened. He was headed toward Damascus. We, we, back in Acts 9, we had the whole story. But Paul is telling a part of that story right here. His personal conversion is verses 6 through 10. He says, about noon... I came near Damascus. This was the hottest time of the day. It was also the brightest time of the day. The sun's directly overhead. And guess what? He's going to see a light in the middle of the sunlight, the lightest time of the day, and there's going to be a really, really bright light. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That had Paul's attention. Remember, he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. That was his name before he became Paul. He's going to become Paul after Acts 9. 
Who are you? Lord, I ask, Paul says. Paul knew this is an unusual encounter. He's never had anything like this happen to him before. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is speaking of his humanity here. I am the one. I am the teacher. I am the rabbi who went around Galilee. I am the one they crucified in Jerusalem and nailed to a cross. And I am the one that was resurrected on the third day. Oh, it starts to sink in for Paul. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And just in case he has any doubts, who is this standing before him right now in this bright light speaking to him? I am the one you are persecuting. Did Paul ever meet Jesus before? No. Why is he saying he's persecuting him? It's because when Paul was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. When Paul was persecuting the body of Christ, when there were people suffering for the sake of Christ, Paul was bringing pain to Jesus. Verse 9, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Because Paul, what, what is this about? What am I supposed to do? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So Paul has to go to Damascus. He gets further instructions. And he has to decide right now, will he follow Jesus? Jesus has just given him orders. It's the word of God spoken to Paul. He has a choice. Is he going to follow? If he does, he's living by faith. That's what being obedient is, by the way. It's living by faith. It's trusting God's word. So he's supposed to go. Let's look, uh, just a reminder. We already got the map. Did, they, did, did you guys see this or did I, I just passed it? Uh, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, down at the bottom, he has just completed his third missionary journey. So that's the context. He's, he's come back. He's come to Jerusalem. He's got into this, uh, uh, you know, people have accused him wrongly in Jerusalem. And, and so now he's had to defend himself and uh, that's, the, that's the travels we've been doing. He did this three major missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And this is the third one. We're coming to the end of the big missionary journeys. He's not going to be done, but we're coming to the end of the missionary journeys. Now, we put Ankara up there for you because we just want to remind you where Nick and Emily are headed and where Matt and Christine are headed to Turkey. This is all... Turkey in that area. And the cities that Paul has been is southern uh, Turkey or Galatia, southern Galatia at that time. So map two, to, there we go. That is fast. Very good. So Paul is in Jerusalem. He's gotten letters to go to Damascus. And Jesus encounters him just before he enters Damascus and tells him, you got to go on to Damascus and get your next information. In verses 11 through 16, uh, we have personal follow-up for Paul. Verse 11, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So he needs help. And that's, that's a good way to deal with somebody like Paul is 
is incapacitate him for a period of time where he's got to rely on other people. That's kind of feels a little unsafe, doesn't it? When you have to let other people lead you around because you don't know where they've taken you and it's all new and it's now it's got Jesus and I've been I've hated Jesus before and now it's all changed. A man, verse 12, named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law. Paul is identifying with his audience, the Jewish audience in Jerusalem. He's reminding them about Ananias. This, by the way, this part's not recorded in Acts 9. Paul is saying to them, he's like you. He loves to serve God. He cares about what God says. And he's a a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Good reputation. Verse 13, he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. And God did a miracle right there on the spot in Saul of Tarsus' life, Paul, so that he could see to get Paul's attention to let Paul know that he's kind of in charge of things. And it's good to get with the program. You and I might get with the program more if God interrupted us, turned us around. By the way, God knocked Paul to the ground. That was the kind of encounter he had. Just dumped him right on the ground. Notice I said ground. Uh, Jesus picked a messenger to communicate with Paul what God's plans were. The God of our ancestors, your God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has chosen you, the true and living God, Paul. Your God, the one that you worship, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? It's Jesus, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament that the Old Testament scriptures have looked forward to. Paul, God has chosen you to see him. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that qualified Paul to become an apostle, like the other disciples who had seen the risen Lord, who became apostles, one of the qualifications they had to see, the risen Lord. Now Paul is qualified. That's why Paul calls himself one who was untimely born. He wasn't with the other disciples. He was an enemy of Jesus before he became a follower of Jesus. Verse 15, you will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. That's what a witness does. You will be a witness, Paul. It's exactly what Jesus told his followers in Acts 1.8. You shall be my witnesses. Remember, that's a prophecy and a command. What does a witness do? Tells people what they've seen and heard. What does a witness do? Tells people about what they know, what they personally know. What do you know about Jesus? Who is he and what has he done for you? That's what it means to be a witness. You can tell people what you know. Nobody is required to tell what they don't know. We're all afraid of what we don't know. What if they ask me a really hard question? Well, you don't have the answer, so big deal. Tell people what you do know. Verse 16, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on his name. Now, what's happening? Like, Paul, your sins are going to get washed when you get baptized. Is that what's happening here? I think not. By the way, Paul is already a believer. Paul is already saved from the penalty of sin. 
Paul has already received the Holy Spirit back in Acts 9 before he gets baptized. But what he's saying is that this, this was a picture. This was a symbol of what had already happened. Uh, it was a symbol. It was an outward expression of what had happened internally already. The work of God cleansing Paul's soul and heart. And now the baptism is public. And it's also a fulfillment of what Jesus said. Remember in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus told people to go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what's happening right now for Paul. He's going to get baptized. It's not going to, the baptism is not going to wash away his sins. It's a, it's a picture of what has happened. And it was a, sort of the way of going public was your faith. And this, by the way, is for every believer. And if you have not been baptized as a follower of Christ, now, you, you know my story. I was baptized as an infant, like some of you. And my parents were doing what they thought was best, but it has nothing to do with what Scripture says. It was just my parents did what they thought was right because the church told them this is what they should do, but it's not what the Scripture says. So when I became a follower of Jesus Christ at the age of 25, I was baptized with the three months later at the very first baptism service that our church had uh, after I came to faith. That's believer's baptism. That's what it means to be baptized, by the way. Literally means to immerse. And we don't expect anybody to immerse babies, by the way. It's for people who have believed. Personal commission, verses 17 through 21, when I returned to Jerusalem, was praying at the temple. So sometime later, quite a while later, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and Paul is praying at the temple. This is a good Jewish command. He's identifying with the audience, but this is where his heart was. This was an important place to meet God at the temple. So he was praying there. I fell into a trance, Paul said, and I saw the Lord speaking to me. He had another encounter with God. And, and, and Jesus spoke to him. He said, quick, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people, people here will not accept your testimony about me. So Paul gets a message here that he's, he has to leave. Paul would love to stay here and tell people about Jesus. He would love to stay. And for his fellow countrymen, you know, his whole practice was to go to the Jews first. And his heart is for them. He, they know the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. And he has answers. And he'd love to share with those people. But God says, nope, I want you to leave because they're not going to. They're not going to pay attention to you, Paul. This is not the time. I, I want you to go to the nations. There's going to be people who want to hear what you have to say. You'll know what I went from one sentence, verse 19. Lord, I replied, these people know what I says. I'm from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And Paul says, I want to explain. I want to tell the story. I want people to know about how I met Jesus, and that's why I do what I do, and I think people will understand. And Jesus says, nope, not now. I want you to leave. He says, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, Acts chapter 7, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I was passionate about this. I loved, It's because I love God, and now I want to tell my story that Jesus has changed my life, and I don't do that anymore. And here's why. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So now we know 
why Paul had to go on those three missionary journeys and why he went to all those cities outside of the land of Israel, Gentile cities. The defense that Paul gives, verses 1 through 21. A defense given, now an offense taken because he highly offends his audience when he tells this story. It's verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said Gentiles, that made his audience livid. The whole problem was, Paul, you brought Gentiles into the temple. You don't understand. You're out there teaching Gentiles they don't have to be circumcised. That's not good, Paul. You're out there telling people, the Gentiles, they don't have to make sacrifices in Jerusalem. Paul, that's not right. They hate Paul. As soon as he said that word, verses 20, uh, an offense taken, a crowd disapproval. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, and they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. 20 years earlier, end of crowd, rightify him, crucify him. Same kind of crowd, right in Jerusalem, outside the temple. And it was a Jewish audience. Verse 23, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. This was an angry mob. This was a way of showing their disgust and their hate for Paul. But the government steps in for Paul to protect him one more time from his own people. Verse 24, government intervention. The commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why people were shouting at him like this. So, government intervention. The government has saved Paul's life on many occasions. Government's going to save Paul's life in the future, but there's a problem right here. Paul has been taken in now to the government, to the uh, right off the temple. And he, he's going to interrogate Paul. He's going to give Paul the third degree. This is going to be a serious inter- interrogation. He's going to flog Paul first because he wants to get, he wants the truth. This is just the way we find out the facts. This is just, it's normal, okay? But here, Paul's going to be flogged. This is not like being whipped by the Jews five times that Paul records in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. He says, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. So he was whipped with 39 lashes, five leather whips. And we just know, we just read it, that uh, when Paul was in Philippi, he was beaten uh, with rods, wooden rods. They're pretty harsh on the back. So Paul's now going to be flogged. Is that the same as being whipped? No, this is the same flogging that Jesus got. By the Roman soldiers. This was a scourge. This was the Roman, this was the leather thongs attached to a heavy wooden handle with sharp metal and bones with the purpose of bringing deep lacerations into the back. So serious injury, sometimes for life and sometimes death. And this is how they get people to talk. And so this is what the commander has planned. Verses 25 through 29, we see citizenship rights as they stretched him out to flog him. So probably stretched out with his back exposed, probably tied to a pole. Paul said to the centurion, so it's the 
the commander rules a thousand, the centurion rules a hundred, and he's in charge of scourging, and that's kind of a normal thing with the band of troops here, maybe six, and uh, standing there, it's Ill- is it legal? So Paul asks us a question. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even, even been found guilty? Now, Paul already knows the answer to that. This is a polite way to ask a question of people in authority over you. And so he asks this question, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? Verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. This is a game changer if it's true. Paul is a Jew, but more importantly, Paul is a Roman citizen. This is going to change everything. Rome rules the day. That's why it's important to know history. Um, Rome ruled the whole empire, many nations, including Israel. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had rights and privileges that nobody else had. Paul is a Roman citizen. Verse 27, the commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. This is going to change everything. Now, could somebody say, could they lie? Sure, they could try. Uh, maybe not quite as likely in this situation. Paul may even been carrying papers with him, something to identify uh, of his uh, Roman citizenship because he traveled all the time through the Roman Empire. We don't know. It doesn't say he has papers. Uh, you could be put to death on the spot. If it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of, and Rome had a lot of sway. They weren't weak. They were very powerful. Verse 28, then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. The commander's name is Claudius Lysias, and we know that from Acts 23, verse 26. That's what we're going to see next week. He has a name, Claudius Lysias. Uh, He did not. he He was the commander, yet he did not have Roman citizenship until he bought it. And there was a time under the Emperor Claudius where it was somewhat easy or at least possible for people to purchase their citizenship by bribing appropriate um, government officials to get their name on a list for the possibility of them being approved. A lot of people could do it that way if you had the resources, and it was pretty expensive. And so this Roman commander, he has citizenship, but he had to says, I was born. And then parents were citizens of the Roman Empire. He's the natural citizen. Um, that's a pretty high uh, status for the Roman Empire. Verse 29, those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. This scared the daylights out of the Roman commander. We don't get how big a deal this is that if this Roman commander would somehow scourge this Roman citizen without a trial, maybe the Roman commander would be scourged, lose his job, perhaps perhaps even executed, because Roman law was it. It was the most important thing. Do not violate Roman law, especially Roman soldiers. Verse 30, the court appearance. The commander wanted to find out exactly. The next day, he released him. Paul gets to He still doesn't understand the situation. It's very complicated. So the next day, he released him. Paul gets, gets released. 
And he ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders, the council in Jerusalem, to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Paul's going to talk to the Sanhedrin, the same group that Jesus talked to and the same group that accused Jesus of blasphemy. Okay, a couple of lessons. The first lesson is, number one, tell others your story. That's what Paul did. Paul does it three times. It happens three times in the book of Acts where Paul's story gets told to, to people. And uh, application for us is tell your story, that we should tell our story to, to others. Um, how we came to faith in Jesus Christ, that's what I mean by our story. For example, your life before you met Christ. In Paul's story, fantastic Jewish background, born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem, this fantastic uh, theological education, and he persecuted the church, he had people put in prison, he was very passionate, and then he encountered Jesus my story is I was born and raised in Iowa and I, in a town where sports were everything. And sports were everything in my life. And that's where I found meaning and significance was by trying to be successful as an athlete. And uh, I was confirmed in the church and, and uh, learned a little about church and God and a little bit about the Bible. But I never had a relationship with God. And so when I went to college, I became an atheist. And I got married and um, with my with. The day, the day I got married, my wife was pregnant. And I was getting off to a rocky start. And uh, after uh, five years in college, I became an atheist because that's where it seemed to make sense to me. This Christ, well, Paul was on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocked him to the ground and spoke to him. This, this got Paul's attention, and he understood the gospel. He understood that this is the Jesus who died for me who was placed in a tomb and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, and he's been leading his church ever since, and the church has been growing like wildfire, and now Paul's a part of it. For me, it was, it was the faithful witness of Sue and our daughter Tina and a few friends, and, and over a weekend, um, I came to grips with the gospel and placed my faith in Jesus and got a brand new start. Your life since you met Christ? Well, Paul had a radical conversion. He had a vast knowledge of the Old Testament, and he began to think and reflect on what the Old Testament had to say and what the Holy Spirit was teaching him about the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament that came in Jesus. And uh, then Paul went out on the circuit, and he began to tell everybody he could who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. And my story is after I placed my faith in Christ, I had a desire to study the Bible, and, and so I... I spend a lot of time trying to tell us about the Bible and have people help me and mentor me in studying the Bible. And then God moved us to Dallas, Texas, where I went to seminary. And then God moved us into ministry in Iowa for five years as an associate pastor. And then God moved us to Wisconsin, of all places, southern Wisconsin. And we were there 21 years. And then eight years ago, God moved us here. That's my story. What's your story? What was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what difference has he made? You can tell that story. And maybe you're early in the story and you haven't met Jesus yet. You still can. There's lots of time to do that. He died for you, paid the penalty for your sins, and he offers 
forgiveness if you will believe in him. Tell others your story. Um, you can argue here a story. You can argue your story, really. It's your story. And the more times people hear a story that focuses on who Jesus is and what he's done for him, it's going to make sense. By the way, on an average, people have to hear it at least five times. I think in our day, it's more than that. So it's not unusual for people to not get it the first time they, that you share it. But keep sharing it. Keep sharing it. Secondly, don't be surprised that your story may make some people uncomfortable. That may be an understatement. When Paul told his story, sometimes people were excited to hear. Sometimes people listened to him and came to faith in Christ. But sometimes it just made people mad. That's what happened in Jerusalem. People just got mad when Paul told his story. They didn't listen to it. So don't be surprised if, if they don't like Jesus. Don't take it personally, by the way. Now, some Christians do stupid things, and they should take it personally. But if you're following Christ, you're telling your story, don't be surprised if they hate Jesus. In 19, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. You know, not everybody liked Jesus. He was a pretty lovable guy, right? The greatest example of a human being ever. People hated him. They still do today. So don't be surprised. We sometimes get all wrapped up in who we are. and Do people like me? What do I have to do to get people to like me? And we end up living more like the world. We're not, we have nothing to offer. We're not distinct. Number three, when you rely on Christ, expect God to give you the words to represent him. When you rely on Christ, expect God to give you the words to speak for him. God told Paul he would represent Christ in the world. That he would tell all people that he would speak before kings. And Paul did, and that's coming in the book of Acts. And we, it's not written anywhere, it's not recorded, we don't know. He maybe even appeared before Nero, the emperor in Rome. We don't know that. But when you rely on Christ, you can expect God to give you the words. God gave Paul the words to be a witness, to speak what he had seen and heard. You and I don't have to be Paul, but we can speak what we know about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. In John 14, 26 and 27, Jesus said this to his followers the night before his death. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So this is the night before Jesus' death. He's going to die. He's, gonna, he's sending him back to Jerusalem. There's, they're going to be waiting in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, and then the God is going to send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus said, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Hey, the biggest jephot the disciples didn't get. But after they received the Holy Spirit, it made the biggest difference. Beginning to understand, oh yeah, Jesus said that, didn't he? Oh, I always wondered what he meant. And the Holy Spirit puts, puts the pieces together. Oh, that makes sense. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. He didn't say safety. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. 
And then in John 16, just a couple of chapters later, uh, Jesus said these words, But when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit did. You know what? The Holy Spirit still guides us into the truth. We have to be walking in the Spirit. We have to be yielded to the Spirit. We have to be in scriptures. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what's yet to come. He will glorify on him, uh, manifesting his reputation. It is not about making you and me look good. If you want to look good, you're in the wrong business, okay? It's about him. It's about Jesus. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Next slide. I have told you these things so that it, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, not necessarily safety. I'm all for your safety, but not above living dangerously for Christ. Or, in other words, not above obedience. Not above following Christ to wherever he takes you. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. And then uh, let's look at one more. And that is uh, Stephen, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This is, uh, Paul referred to this, which Cassie heard this. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But no, stay back. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, please notice that. This is his response. Stephen is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit right in this dangerous situation. When Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I don't know if Stephen ever had an experience like this before, but on this occasion, God gives him an amazing experience and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Normally, Jesus, as far as I understand, is sitting at the right hand of God. And it appears that Jesus has stood up for Stephen for what is about to happen. Look, he said, verse 56, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This would have made the crowd furious. He's just saying what he's seeing right before their eyes. Next slide. Out of the city and began, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This is not good and this is not safe, by the way. Don't do this at home. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus gave Stephen the words. Jesus gave Stephen this kind of peace full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't hateful. Why would he be thinking about their sin at this point? And he wants their forgiven. Hired Christ followers for hundreds of years. So, my question is, would, would you rather be safe, or would you rather be dangerous? Let's stand. Or...
Father, I thank you uh, for the Apostle Paul and his life and um, just being able to follow how you started your church in Acts, the book of Acts. I'm grateful for the examples of Paul, the example of Stephen, who wanted to follow you, whatever the cost. Father, may we grow in our desire to follow you. And it's amazing that we don't have to uh, face the danger that Paul did or the danger that Stephen did, at least at this time in history in America. We live in a pretty safe environment. And I appreciate safety, Lord, and I like protection, protection from the evil one. But it's my prayer that I will be a follower of Jesus no matter what. Help us to be such people. Help us to to trust you, to have that kind of faith. Help us to be people who search the scriptures, to want to know you and to grow. And if our lives are to be dangerous, lead us that way. For Jesus' sake, amen.